Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, COVID puts more stress on hospitals as the risk escalates that they could be overrun. Things are very bad. We've got numbers on the rise across the country, record number of cases in Ontario, field hospitals are being set up, and we've got ICU units that are being overrun. Health experts reiterate that the benefits of vaccines outweigh the risks. Our best advice to Canadians is always the same, but possibly more urgent now than ever, with cases of COVID-19 increasing across Canada. Get whichever vaccine is available to you. It's that simple. And Aaron O'Toole is about to release his climate plan. There will be a price for carbon on consumers. There'll be a, a levy on fuel purchases, initially at $20 per tonne, going up to $50, a, a ceiling of 50 You know, that compares obviously to the, to the Liberal plan, which is at 30 and is going up to 170 in a, uh, over a period of years. It's Thursday, April 15th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by National Post columnist John Iveson. John, thank you for being with us today. Morning, Mark. Let's take stock of where we are in the pandemic and with the vaccination program that's rolling out across the country. I sense a lot of frustration and even anger in some cases. You see it on social media. You see it elsewhere. Uh, There is, of course, concern about the rising number of infections. There are fears that hospitals could end up overrun in some parts of the country, including Ontario. Um, And then there are a lot of questions about the safety of vaccines and the decisions that different governments are making about how to vaccinate Canadians, the rollout of the inoculation program. So what are some of your thoughts on where we stand at the moment? Well, I think there is still simmering frustration with the federal government on the vaccine front. I mean, not helped by seeing pictures in the front of the newspapers of of Londoners celebrating the end of lockdown and and essentially life returning to normal in much of the UK. They're seeing the similar in in the US. And yet, here we are. I mean, we're probably two months behind that best-case scenario. But that, that resentment has been there for a while. I think where the anger is, is, is and lack of trust is coming is in, at the provincial level that are seeing this third wave and, and a kind of whiplash of, of government policies as things are apparently mishandled. I mean, in, in Ontario the other day, the, uh, federal edu- the provincial education minister wrote to parents saying that in-person learning would resume in the province after the April spring break. You know, less than 24 hours, he's sitting next to Premier Doug Ford saying that kids are going to stay home indefinitely. You know, I think people just start to lose trust and they start to feel that people, the people in charge don't know what they're doing. And, and at that point, I think it's very hard to enforce rules because people think the rules are meaningless. So I think, you know, Ontario in particular right now is in a real bad spot. You know, they had 4,400 cases on Monday. That's about 60% of Canada's total. It wouldn't, a positivity test rate of 9.5%. Uh, you know, 600-plus patients in intensive care, 400 hooked up to ventilators, overflowing in, in many emergency, in uh, many ICUs. In Ottawa, we're hearing that CHEO, the Children's Hospital, is now taking adults in its ICUs. So this, these are situations we haven't seen in the pandemic to this point. And I think that... People are thinking, well, how have we not learned the lessons to this point? You know, it's an epic public policy failure. Um, and it's not as if it wasn't predicted because there were, 
Your predictions coming out during the second wave, and unless you lock down really hard, as Melbourne and the US did, as the Atlantic provinces have done, then you were going to see a third wave, and so it has proven. Yeah, and and I think that's the first of all. I think there people are are at this point comparing the reality to what they expected at this time, which was that by spring we would be emerging from this that more as more people were being vaccinated the rate of infection would go down as the weather got better we'd be able to go outside this was going to be a time of hope and optimism and progress and it's actually the reverse so there that's the the gap uh the expectation gap but i think there's also maybe some frustration that uh, okay, we could forgive our political leaders for not being ready for, for this pandemic a year ago and making decisions on the fly, but we're now 13 months into this, and it feels like the, the, the no progress has been achieved. Right. I mean, I think in Ontario and some of the other provinces, the the measures taken to prevent the third wave were kind of half-hearted. I mean, you were saying, you had government saying, well, we're, we're going into lockdown, but Big box stores were still open. Malls were still open. Um, you know, people were still out and about despite the fact there was a stay-at-home order. And there was no real enthusiasm at the government level to, to clamp down on that. And I think, you know, I mean, people are the people are the, ju- the best judge of their own interests right up until the point where those interests hurt other people. And obviously that's what it w- w- was starting to happen in the... Uh, in the second going into the third wave. And I think that the government has really botched the chance to, to clamp down on this thing before we got to where we are right now, which is a real mess, in short. So a lot of that is at the provincial level. What about at the federal level? Um, there are questions about the safety of vaccines, in some cases about procurement measures. Um, and, and do you think that that there are decisions at the federal level that are worthy of scrutiny at, and criticism at this point? For sure. I mean, I think that, that uh, you know, how long have we got? Uh, you know, the new variants got into the country because, and, and the, it's the new variants that are clearly the problem right now, they got into the country because we had such lax border security measures. I mean, the fact that we um, that we have no domestic vaccine production, I mean, that suggests lack of foresight on that front. Um, you know, lack of rapid testing, quarantine hotels. I mean, you could go on and on with the, the measures that are, that the federal government has has been lax on, but uh, but I think the the, the sort of theatre of activity has now moved squarely into the provincial realm, and um, and it's that's where the anger is being directed now. If you look across the country at provincial governments uh, in situ, they're not doing so well in the polls, by and large. All right, let's turn to the Conservative Party's climate plan, which um, is is expected to be released uh, today. And uh, there are news reports, including in the National Post, about this. Um, there, There is going to be a price on carbon, according to what's being reported. But it will be different, of course, from what the Liberals are doing right now. Uh, what do you expect from Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole when he makes this important announcement today? Well, the report suggests that the price there will be a price for carbon on consumers. There will be a, a levy on fuel purchases, initially at twenty dollars per ton, going up to fifty dollars, a ceiling of fifty. Um, you know that compares obviously to the to the Liberal plan, which is at thirty and is going up to one seventy in a uh, over a period of years. 
you know, I don't want to prejudge it because I haven't seen all the details yet. The plan is not out yet. And I'm kind of agnostic about uh, how we get to various targets that we sign up to. You know, 30% below 2005 levels by 2030, net zero by 2050. I mean, I think that O'Toole's plan will sign up to those targets. And as I say, I'm I'm agnostic about how you get there. You look at the Americans, they're they're going to have quite ambitious targets. Joe Biden is having a meeting of uh, governments next week. I think the Americans are going to come out with somewhere around 40 percent below uh, 2005 levels by 2030. How they get there is hard to see because they're not going to have a, a carbon tax either. You know, you have to you have to look at the plan and judge whether it's serious or not. So if this plan is serious and it has steps to get to the targets that it's saying, then then the fact that the consumer levy is much lower than the liberal one is not necessarily a problem. But you know, at face at first glance, um, if one plan has a, a a levy at fifty dollars and another has a one at one hundred and seventy dollars, you would imagine the one at one hundred and seventy dollars is going to reach its targets more easily. Mm. Um, the other, one other point is that um, apparently the Conservative plan is going to put use the money to fund personalised savings accounts, which Canadians can then use for environmentally friendly purchases. That sounds incredibly complicated. I mean, at the moment, the Liberal plan, the money is rebated to consumers. Now, I have some issues with the amount that's rebated because... Uh, um, at the moment, people in rural areas are get a 10% rebate, and they should probably get more because I think it's clear that if you live in a rural area, you're you're, uh, you're going to be paying more gas tax, or you're going to be paying more carbon tax because you travel further. Your generally your homes are older, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so there are there are tweaks needed to the Liberal plan as far as how much is rebated to people, but I think it's far simpler to simply send people who are paying the tax a rebate either a direct check, which right. is what's going to happen, or through the tax system, than what appears to be a tools plan. Anyway, as I say, I, I haven't seen the whole plan. I'm, I'm not prejudging it. And I think it is uh, progress. It, it certainly seems to be a big improvement on the plan that Andrew Scheer brought forward for the 2019 election. Yeah, and just quickly, John, how important is this for Aaron O'Toole to be credible on this issue? Uh, in uh, leading into a, p- a possible election this year, I think it's it's crucial. I mean, I, I know that people, when they're asked what the uh, what they uh, consider to be the top issues, environment is not always at the top, but I do think it's in the mix of things that people think about. And if your plan has been rubbished by experts and the media, um, that you're not really serious about this issue, it's not an issue you care about. And in fact, they, frankly, you don't believe in it then I don't think you've got much chance of being Prime Minister of this country these days. All right, John, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks a lot. That's John Iveson of the National Post. As you know, I'm I'm pro-choice, and I will be voting against this private member's bill. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Globe and Mail, Conrad Yakabuski argues a Conservative MP's bill to ban sex-selective abortion is the stinking albatross Aaron O'Toole was warned about. Yakabuski writes, O'Toole won the Conservative leadership last year by furtively courting supporters of anti-abortion candidates Derek Sloan and Leslin Lewis to clinch a third ballot victory against Peter McKay. 
Eventually, a future conservative leader must understand that playing to the SOCONs is a losing strategy, period. It might help you win a leadership race, but it will leave you with a stinking albatross around your neck, of which no amount of flowery perfume can disguise the stench. In the Toronto Star, Bob Hepburn argues Aaron O'Toole's big problem with right-wing media could hurt his election chances. Hepburn writes, There's a growing number of columnists and editorial writers in right-wing media outlets who are increasingly critical of Aaron O'Toole. For conservatives, there's a feeling of widespread liberal bias in much of the mainstream media, but they don't expect to see criticism of their party or their leader in right-wing media outlets. The cumulative impact is the sowing of doubt about O'Toole's leadership skills, even among conservative loyalists. In the National Post, Kelly McParland argues it's time for Tories and New Democrats to hold their noses and say no. McParland writes, If Aaron O'Toole, Jagmeet Singh, and Yves-François Blanchet really want to poke a hole in Justin Trudeau's socks, all they have to do is deny the Prime Minister the election his Liberal Party is itching for. It's within their power and well within their own interests. A Prime Minister who has had things handed to him for much of his life is now counting on his opponents to hand him his latest wish by helping him regain office before the reckoning comes. Their response should be to just say no. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. This morning, a group calling itself the End the Lockdown Caucus will hold a news conference on Parliament Hill. CPAC's Martin Stringer has more. Mark, at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, the independent MP for the Ontario Federal Riding of Hastings, Lennox and Addington will host a news conference to speak against the latest lockdowns and COVID-19 public health measures. Derek Sloan, last year, ran for the leadership of the Conservative Party of Canada. The new leader, Aaron O'Toole, expelled him from the Tory caucus a few months ago. Sloan has had a history of taking issue with COVID-19 public health measures. Last year, he criticized the development of vaccines against COVID-19, tabling a petition and defending its argument that they were human experimentation. He'll be accompanied at today's so-called End the Lockdown Caucus event by independent member of the Ontario legislature, Randy Hillier. Hillier was expelled from the Conservative Caucus at Queen's Park by Ontario Premier Doug Ford when he made fun of people protesting over cuts to autism programs. Hillier has a history of opposing lockdown measures and other public health restrictions, and a few days ago he posted web images comparing Ontario's latest lockdown to Hitler and the German Third Reich. Along with them will be Maxime Bernier, former leadership contender of the Conservative Party of Canada, but now the leader of the People's Party of Canada. Bernier has attended and led uh, numerous anti-masking, anti-lockdown and anti-public health measure rallies the length of the country. He was present at rallies in Ottawa, Montreal and most recently in Alberta. The agenda for the event says the caucus members will present evidence on why lockdowns are ineffective, have caused more harm than good, and have created a political crisis that is destroying the fabric of our country. Access to the Parliamentary Hill press conference room and facilities are granted to sitting members of the House of Commons, which includes Derek Sloan. So Mark, at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, we will see free speech at work. Thanks, Martin. Also today... The Prime Minister will speak with German Chancellor Angela Merkel. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole will hold a news conference to make a policy announcement. Labour Minister Philomena Tassi will announce a federal investment to improve high-speed internet access in rural Ontario. Agriculture Minister Marie-Claude Bibot will announce investments to support cattle, hog and big game producers in Quebec. And Public Services Minister Anita Anand 
will announce investments in lab space for the National Research Council and Natural Resources Canada in Mississauga and Hamilton, Ontario. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Thursday, April 15th. Tune into Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC for coverage of all the day's events. Our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.